you will do it better leading by your true authentic self as I would leading by my true authentic self. Yet what happens to us is we create this mold where we go, well, if you're the optimal, is you're responsible for this KPI, for that KPI, for that KPI, for this target, for this SLA, for this, etc., etc., etc. That's not what anybody wakes up in the morning and gets excited about. Hello and welcome to the Leader Insights series, the platform designed to uncover the secrets to both career and business success and gain real insight from inspirational figures across the food and drink industry. I'm your host, Jonathan O'Hagan, and my special guest today is Tim Roberts. Now, I first saw Tim at a coaching culture conference and I was really impressed. Ever since, I've been super keen to pin him down to come onto the podcast. Thankfully, he said yes, and here we are. To set the scene, let me tell you a little bit about Tim. Tim is a leadership coach and inspirational speaker. He's also the founder of Enthuse Coaching and Training. And in a few days' time, he's about to publish his first highly anticipated book called Break the Mold, which we talk all about in today's episode. As you're about to hear from this discussion, Tim is an emotional intelligence coach who delivers leadership coaching for leaders who want to become the best version of themselves. He has over 20 years leadership experience in various sectors, and his coaching work includes clients such as the NHS, global digital brands, housing associations, Premier League football clubs, and entrepreneurial startups. Tim is himself a very authentic people-first leader who brilliantly communicates what I think are quickly becoming crucial behaviours and skills that all leaders need to develop to become successful in today's world. So stay tuned and enjoy. And as always, drop me a review if you find this episode helpful. And please check out my new mentoring charity, The Mentors Club. More info on that in the episode. Enjoy. Tim, it's an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Welcome to the show. Now, I first saw you talking at Coaching Culture, a Coaching Culture conference. I think you were comparing or maybe one of the keynote speakers. And I, I must admit, I thought, I thought, who the hell is this guy? In a very nice way, your energy, your enthusiasm, I was really, I was really taken by it. But for the people who've not had the pleasure of meeting you or, or hearing you talk, tell us a bit about your background and, and what you do. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for that welcome. It's always good to catch up, mate. So when you were just saying that about the Coaching Culture Conference, I was just thinking, that means your first introduction to me was when I got very excited about wearing shoes because it was in <laughs> 2020. It might have been the very early last year, actually, when we were still in lockdown. So I got excited that I didn't have my slippers on that day. So yeah, that, that probably gives you and the listeners a bit of an idea of my uh, kind of energy or approach to public speaking anyway. So yeah, I'm Tim Roberts from Enthuse Coaching and Training. So a little bit about my background. Oh, crikey, where do I start? I suppose in terms of what I do now, so what I do today is I'm an inspirational speaker and leadership coach. And that's relevant to my background because my background is, is a little bit different to many people who are speakers and coaches in that I spent still the vast part of my career as an operational manager so working in different roles, in different organisations, different sectors, in senior leadership roles. So the reason I mention that is because my background is I've, I've been there and done it. I've got the T-shirt, I've got the physical and mental scars to show for it, shall we say. And that career where I had those physical and mental scars made me realise there's a different way to do things, there's a different way to lead. And it really 
I guess my epiphany moment, if you like, when I realised the importance of personal development was what led me into doing what I'm doing today. So the last part of my employed career was as head of L&D. I worked in senior learning and development roles and then I set up Enthuse in 2018 and haven't looked back since. So, yeah, my day job now is with my own coaching and training business where I'm an inspirational speaker and leadership coach. Brilliant. And, and give us an idea, who do you typically work with, Tim? And I, and I guess the end result as well, what are you, what are you trying to achieve with some of these uh, people typically? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, I work with organisations to bring their company conferences to life. So for, for me to be their keynote speaker. I also work with senior leadership teams. So I run a lot of team coaching programmes where senior leadership teams want to get to know each other better. They, they want to learn more about themselves. They want to really be able to set the tone for them as a leadership team and be able to deliver their leadership in an authentic way. And I think that's the best way to summarise what I do, Jonathan. It's all about authentic leadership. So my strap line, if you like, is I, I take a no bullshit approach to developing authentic leaders. That to me is the outcome I'm always aiming for. And the reason I, I really focus on the authentic leadership is because that's where people are at the best. So the, the best version of you is when you are your true authentic selves. And I strongly believe it's often missed by organisations. I think we go too easily into, here's somebody else's leadership style. Here's somebody else's leadership model. Let's just all follow that. And you can't do that unless, unless that aligns with exactly who you are. And obviously trying to adopt somebody else's leadership style there's a small chance that it's going to align with who you are so yeah for me it's all about that authentic leadership and that that might be different things so I do a lot of one-to-one leadership coaching exec coaching where for those senior leaders it's about whether it's about rediscovering themselves or now as a senior leader with those years of technical skills those capabilities and experience now being able to lead from a human first point of view I think Something that's really striking to me when I work with senior leaders is that the higher you go, the more your problems are behavioural in terms of how you behave as a leader and how it impacts on others or that you're having to deal with other people's behaviours. You know, whether it's about leading change, well, what you need to do is help people to change their behaviours. Whether it's about delivering a strategy, well, it's how people behave that will enable you to deliver the strategy in the right way. So, yeah, for me, it's always about being able working with people so they can really enable themselves as that authentic leader. So for me, um, I role model that in my approach. So for me on stage, I say it as it is, shall we say. I really, really believe that we need to enable leaders and organisations to be transparent, to, to be able to have the conversations that you actually want to have. Yeah. Well, it's something I'm sure we'll talk about later, Tim, but something we talked about previously, that whole kind of emphasis on emotional intelligence versus the old school kind of, yes. you know, IQ. And and for me, this is where I think when I saw you talking, it really resonated with me because some of the most inspirational, you know, in inverted commas, best leaders that I see and where they're really equipping their people and getting the most out of them and helping them, you know, be the best versions of themselves in terms of their employees, they're incredibly authentic, really high levels of emotional intelligence. And that's something you talk about a lot in your book, which I know we're going to talk about as well. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much where I specialise in emotional intelligence a bit further than life than anything else. And 
I think it's it's one of the worst kept secrets in leadership. I think too often we try and separate it. My focus there is helping leaders to recognise how they can make a positive choice to how they respond to their thoughts and feelings. And yes, you you, know, you mentioned the book there. I can now add author to my, to my list of job titles as my, my book is out on Friday of this week from where we're recording the podcast. And yeah, that's all about enabling leaders to develop that emotional intelligence. Brilliant. And we're going to get into the book, Tim. But before I do that, tell me about your motivation, because as it says in your book, which I won't I won't spoil, but you've had you've had this journey of experience. It's not just theoretical. You've actually been there, done it, like you say. So what's your motivation? You know, why do you do what you do? Was there a pivotal turning point at which you thought, actually, no, you know, there's a different way of doing it. Talk us through your kind of why, I suppose. Yeah, I I think the big motivation for me is that I want to get out of bed in the morning and want to go to work. And a lot of that comes from the experience that you're referring to there, where I did spend a lot of my years waking up in the morning and wanting to do anything but go to work and, you know, would lose my Sundays to my Mondays and would find that this world of leadership that came with so much promise, more often than not, caused me much more problems and challenges and you know ultimately made me miserable rather than actually being happy in terms of having the opportunity to lead people so yeah that, that's the big motivation for me there's a bit of I think really intrinsic motivation there for me so it's really really important for me to be a good dad and a good husband and that's my purpose and I know that's a lot harder to do if I'm not happy in the work that I do if I don't do what I love and you know, that, that's not a cliche. I'm not saying that because we should all go and find what we want to do. We should all set up our own business and we should do this. Absolutely not. It's different things for different people. For me, coming from experience where, so the book is called Break the Mold. And I know when I look back at my experience, when I was at my most miserable and stressed and wasn't being a good dad and a good husband, it's because I was fitting the mold. And I was trying to live up to these perceptions in my mind of how I should be. And then for me, the, the moment, if you like, was when I got introduced to emotional intelligence and realised that, no, I can choose how I respond to my thoughts and feelings. And then the, the whole concept around break the mould is doing that by being your authentic self. And for me, as I started to do that as a leader, I realised I got better results from being myself. I, I was happier. I progressed quicker. I, I got more opportunities to ultimately allow me to do what I'm doing today, you know, very much doing the job that I love. So that that's the pivotal moment for me. And I guess the the motivation from a business point of view is to work with clients who want that similar experience. So want to be able to develop the most intelligence, who want to be their authentic selves, who, you know, recognize that there's a different way to lead and that enables them to get the results that they want, both with their team and most importantly for themselves. It always starts with you. You know, that, that's possibly the biggest pivotal moment for me is realising that it always starts with you. And for many years, I was waiting for permission from people. I was thinking that, well, if my boss behaves like that, I should behave like that. And then I would be going home at night, wrangling with this self-doubt and the guilt of it and this uncertainty in my mind. And until I realised that it was because I was trying to live up to these perceived moulds that other people were setting for me, that I then realised that I don't have to do that. I can be myself and you know I was one of these people that there would be a professional Tim and a personal Tim and look back now and think what an idiot what the two should be the same thing 
And I think for me, discovering that and, and not waiting for permission and, and really challenging myself, developing myself is, is what gets me out of bed today because I've seen the benefit when you do develop yourself, when you do engage in coaching, when you do challenge yourself to come out of your comfort zone, I've seen the benefits of it. Now, before I go to my next question, I wanted to remind you about the brand new charitable initiative we launched in 2022 called the Mentors Club. The purpose of the Mentors Club is to raise money for charity whilst facilitating the introduction to inspirational industry leaders for quick advice and mentorship. Think executive coaching meets speed dating. It's a 100% for charity initiative with three wonderful beneficiaries, including The Magic Breakfast, Macmillan and RMHC. We've got a panel of 10 superb mentors you can get access to, including Andrew Selly, the CEO of Bid Food, Sue Garfit, the CEO of Alpro, and Julia Darville, the UK MD of Puratos, plus many, many more. Think of it this way. If you're working through a challenge at work, or you're at a career crossroads and you'd be keen to get inspirational advice from industry-proven leaders, then this is for you. Likewise, if you're already operating at C-suite level and you're looking for a great networking opportunity to connect with other like-minded leaders, then this is for you. To find out more and support the initiative and check out our amazing panel of mentors, then simply go to leaderexecutive.com forward slash The Mentors Club. Thank you for your support. You've been doing this for a few years now, Tim. So, so why now for the book? Is there? Do you feel there's something happening? Certainly over the last few years, around people's, I suppose, attitude towards EQ versus IQ. You know, why now for the book? Yeah. So, I suppose I should answer that first of all from a very kind of personal point of view. So, writing and having a book published is my only lifelong ambition. Um, I spent many of my formative years dreaming about playing for Manchester United and then being a rock and roll star. And I think you, you, you quite quickly get to an age where you think, yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so the, it was always nagging away at me. And I think when I when I discovered the power of personal development and started to read whatever people want to call it, a business book, a personal development, a self-help book, call it what you want, I couldn't care less. If people ask me to give it a label, I call it a coaching book. And when I realised the power of those, to me, I realised there's an opportunity here. I've got something to say. I've got a bit of a unique approach to it. And I wanted to be able to create that honest reflection of leadership to give to the world. So there's a bit of why now in terms of, I guess I realised if I didn't get off my arse and do it, no one was going to do it for me. So there's a little bit of that of going, right, now is a time, you know, in, in a global pandemic, why not write a book? You know, Absolutely. Insane, I know. That that was my mindset. So, that, yeah, there's a little bit of the, the personal ambition in there. And, and why not? Because if, if I don't have that, it's hard to be motivated to do it. Because, believe me, writing a book is really bloody hard. Um, in terms of, yes, I guess the external reason, people now just want to go to work and be themselves. And this is a really good thing. When I started in the world of work, there was a there was a mentality of you know your place and you wait and you behave like this and you do exactly what we tell you to do and you should be grateful for that money going into your bank at the end of the day. And you know, you, you basically your employer told you what you could and couldn't do. And I think now people are recognizing that no, I'm not having that. And this isn't about rebelling, it's not about being a disruptor, it's about when you go to work at your first job, you join that workforce as you. 
you know, you in your formative years, from your upbringing, from your education, and then often that gets beaten out of you, and it becomes this mould that you're expected to fit. And for me, working with people from a leadership point of view, like I have done for, what, crikey, the last 10 years, that's the bit that's always stood out. People want to be themselves. You know, you are not your job title, you are you. So, yeah, for me, I believe there's a really big appetite out there for it. I think more and more people are sick of corporate bullshit. They just want to be able to have a conversation with their teams that, that is them in their true authentic selves. You know, I think that's what we've learned in the last couple of years is that people have had a bit of fun where they're working sat at home in their slippers, you know, and people have seen their family in the background. I think it's brought people closer together. So, yeah, and you're right, most intelligence, you know, for me, I, I've been saying this for a long time now, that that is going to become the single most valuable element of leadership development it's going to take time for that to become part of that and i think for me what i've realized with the most intelligence is it doesn't exist in its own so if, if you look at traditional leadership development programs they'll come up with a suite of courses in that probably time management giving feedback strategic thinking managing change you know, i could go on <laughs> And often that's treated in, you know, just in isolation with those different modules. For me, most intelligence is the red thread that runs through that. So if you want to get better at time management, which is I mean, time management in itself is a myth because you can't manage time. So if you want to get more out of your time, you have to choose a positive response to your thoughts and feelings because you have to change your habits, you have to change your behaviours. If you want to think strategically, you again, you have to choose a positive response to your thoughts and feelings that are telling you, you can't do this and that strategy won't work and that's too adventurous. People won't understand me. You know, you've got to be able to choose a response to that. So for me, yeah, the value of the most intelligence is just synonymous with everything that we want from leaders and what we want from work. So yeah, from the book point of view, for me, I've written it in a way that I want it to sit in people's minds so that when they're in that meeting at work or when they're in that conversation or when they're thinking about the day ahead, it triggers that way of responding to those thoughts and feelings that enables people to have the confidence to be that authentic leader. And I've been one of the lucky ones, Tim, to have a read of the book. So thank you for sharing a, a copy with me up front. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I could, you know, I've known you for about a year and I, I don't know you that well, but I could tell that you wrote it, <laughs> if that makes sense. It was <laughs> the language you use. It was very authentic, down to earth. I, I really enjoyed it. And I've, I felt reading it, it was one of these books that I could actually do something with pretty Im immediately because you weren't asking for someone to go off and do loads of kind of hyperbole strategic stuff. It was actually good old, I don't want to say basics, but it, 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 yeah. to coin your phrase, it starts with you. It was something yeah. that I felt, okay, yeah, this is something you could do literally straight away. And it was... Yeah. I really enjoyed it. But but listen, in your own words, if people aren't familiar with your work, what could people expect if they picked up a copy of the book, which they absolutely should? But yeah, what, what can people expect from it? Well, you used the word there, honesty. There's humour in there because I believe sometimes we take leadership too seriously. And, and whilst that's not trying to dumb it down at all, I think sometimes being able to take a step back and think about, oh my God, I've done that. And actually, yeah, I'm that person who he's talking about in the book and being able to, you know, not take yourself too seriously. So to help with that, there's a lot of honest stories in there. I'm a big believer 
that there's huge value when you read a book and it tells you about these success stories of somebody becoming a billionaire or somebody transforming a, a massive tech organization in San Francisco or, you know, how somebody has taken a business from nothing to London Stock Exchange. Well, that doesn't apply to 95% of leaders. You know, 95% of leaders are the people who are employed leading a team that they might not have selected for themselves. And, you know, their main goal is to be a good leader, is to be an effective leader. So for me, I've stripped it back to real honest stories in there. You can expect to learn a lot about yourself. That, that again, is a key aim of it. I, I don't want people to read this book and think, I've got to do what Tim Roberts did. I've got to follow Tim Roberts' supermodel to leadership. Absolutely not. It's about helping you to learn about yourself. You know, they, something I've been very proud of, actually, is somebody who's given me one of the quotes at the start of the book, who's read it, has described it as a literary mirror. They know me really well, so they know that I would like that. And yeah, that's exactly what I'd like it to be, is for somebody to be able to read it and go, yeah, actually, yeah, I've done that. So there's a bit of warts and all in there. I probably tell you more about my failures as a leader than I do about my successes. I point out the dickheads and the knobheads. And look, the book explains why I use those terms. This isn't me trying to be funny. It's not me trying to just criticise people for the sake of it. There's, there's a serious message behind that. And that's about how you choose your behaviours. And that's the, the coaching part of the book is that there are... I guess six six steps or six activities actually that I would use with coaching clients that I've included in the book for people to be able to use with themselves. And that's about helping people to choose their attitudes and behaviours because a big passion of mine is helping individuals to remember that you choose your attitude and behaviour. So just because your culture and your organisation is X or your company values are why you still choose your attitudes and behaviours. You know, what, what gets said or done to you isn't the problem, it's how you choose to respond. So that, that's a big motivator for me is that at the end of the book, people are able to work through those coaching activities. And then there's a digital workbook that people can download that can help them to do that as, as well as the book. Because a big mission for me with the book is I want it to be something that people then use long after they've put it down and one of the things that I always say to coaching clients primarily or, or leadership teams that I work with is when we finish this program I want your coaching to continue without me and what I mean by that is I want them to be able to self-coach so the book is very much aimed at enabling people to have a positive conversation with themselves you know it's all right we've all got a voice in our head you know, it says different things to different people. And that's where really my aim is that they can read that book and relate to what's in there and then be able to create that positive internal conversation. So ultimately then as a leader can demonstrate the best version of themselves that they want to be, that true authentic self. Well, also, Tim, I suspect because it's more focused on the EQ side of things, mm. it's a journey that's never done. Is it? You know, you're yes, consistently absolutely. improving and learning. And I think like a couple of the stories in your book where you kind of illustrated perfectly what was wrong, we're always going to face those situations in the future where, you know, you need to recognise, yeah. maybe learn from it, could do better type thing. I'll tell you what else it did do as well, Tim. It rekindled my love for bands of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of musical quotes in there, which was great. Yeah. Well, there's a bit there of... I it links to the authenticity piece because anyone can write a leadership book 
and repeat the same inspirational quotes that everybody else uses. And yeah, there's some yeah. famous names in there. There is Stephen Covey. I know he's quoted in there because I love Stephen Covey. For me, yeah, what I wanted to be able to say was I'm madly passionate about music and, and actually you can find your inspiration from anywhere. And there is a serious message with that that I do explain in the book that, you know, if you think about the songs that we listen to, you can hear the first note of a song that you first heard 20, 25 years ago and you instantly know that track, you instantly know the lyrics. We don't always remember who we truly are. So the, the music is also a, a very... I guess, subconscious message. And you're right, that links back to the mm. emotional intelligence piece. To, to me, I wanted to write a book that screams emotional intelligence without it screaming emotional intelligence. Because I know from my experience and, and learning and evolving my approach to emotional intelligence, people like it best when it's done in a practical way, mm. when they can look at something and go, yeah, I can do that. And I think sometimes the challenge with emotional intelligence is people see it as, oh, it's going too deep. I don't need to do that. I just need to get angry Bob to stop being angry. So for me, throughout the book, it's the red thread without it being shoved down someone's throat. Because, again, it's about your emotional intelligence comes from how you can recognise your emotions, understand where they're coming from, and then you choose how you positively influence them. And that's what I want the book to enable people to do, even if it doesn't poke them in or slap them in the face and tell them that that's what it's doing because I'm a big believer that you need to decide what you do with a book it's a coaching book I have this conversation with a publisher all the time it's not a teaching book it's a coaching book so I want people to be able to read it and go right that's what I'm going to do with it yeah well everyone's unique everyone's different aren't they Tim some people will be better in certain areas than others so I suspect yeah to approach it and, and maybe pick the bits that are most relevant but no I, I really enjoyed it all of it and I'd encourage people to to go out and get a copy when it's out on Friday if um if there was a principle or two Tim that we could pick out just to share with the listeners is there one that springs to mind that might give people a good introduction to what they can expect yes I'm trying to think of the best one to use really. we talked a lot about it always starts with you that's that's the most important principle in there and there's different elements of that. So I think that's best encapsulated by the map of the world, which is all about you building your true authentic self and recognising what you stand for, what your purpose is, what your emotive drivers are, and then using those to inform the attitudes and behaviours that you demonstrate, because that's where it, it really starts with you. And that's the key message throughout the book is that principle of it always starts with you. And I bring that to life in different ways. There's a little bit of having to call out some of the things that don't work. So, you know, I'm a big believer that employers, organisations, senior leaders, whatever you want to call it, would have much more success with their leadership teams if they encourage them to start with themselves. So instead of, here's a corporate book on how to lead in this business, here's our values, now go and live them. You need those things. Absolutely, we should have leadership competencies. We should have behaviours that set the tone. The step that's most important before that is an engaging with people to say, who are you first? So what do you stand for? And then align that to the company values. What are the behaviours that you want to be known for? Right, Align that to the behavioural competencies that we have in this business. Because the challenge when we try to give that to somebody 
is if it doesn't speak my language, if it doesn't highlight a value that I really, really hold dear to me, I, I can't hold myself accountable to it. Yet your map of the world and who you truly are is the one and only thing that you are accountable for every single day. So what I mean by that is if you just took, if we just use the term operations manager, which you know I, I've been, I'm sure you've, you recruit for those, you probably, you know, it's the role that almost every large business has. So in an operations manager role, you could do an operations manager job in an organization, Jonathan, you could decide to leave and I could turn up and do it the day after you. Yet you will do it better leading by your true authentic self as I would leading by my true authentic self. Yet what happens to us is we create this mold where we go, well, if you're the ops manager, you're responsible for this KPI, for that KPI, for that KPI, for this target, for this SLA, for this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what anybody wakes up in the morning and gets excited about. You know, that what they get excited about is, are they going to engage with people positively? Are they going to be able to have some open conversations? And I think we've become blind to that. So for me, this real principle throughout the book is that it always starts with you and engaging with people to be able to say that's what you're responsible for in your role that that's what you're employed to do the best way to do that is to lead by yourself and that's that's something i call out a bit in the book is looking at one of the mm. so the chapter is titled why you're still reading leadership books you know because we read one leadership book and it tells me to lead like this i read another one it tells me to lead like that and i read another one it tells us to lead like this and in the end we kind of have all these things in our head that doesn't really make any sense you know i've never met anybody who as a leader when they go on a leadership development program and i'm just going to use examples here i'm not criticizing these examples i'm not saying there's anything wrong with them they are universally well-known uh, leadership examples but leaders don't come off a leadership development program, go back to the team and the team go, oh, come on then, tell me which Belbin team role you are. Or, okay, tell me, you're gonna leave me by task, team or individual and use the John Adair approach. Of course they don't. What they talk to them about is, how are you now going to lead me? How are you going to give me feedback? From that leadership development program, they're looking at the boss thinking, well, are you gonna change? What's the impact you're gonna have on me? And of course, the best way for them to achieve that is by really taking it back to themselves. So that's the key principle. And there's lots of different ways that's brought to life. For me, that's the real thread through the book is that it always starts with you. Whatever you work, whatever you do, whatever your leadership responsibilities are, first learn who you are and then lead through that. On that, Tim, I mean, over the last 10 plus years or so, have you noticed a shift in terms of it seems to be much more acceptable to actually work on what we used to sort of almost throwaway line call soft skills? You know, it seems to be, I don't know what your view is, but it seems much more acceptable, commonplace, promoted almost that actually know it's soft skills are up there just as much as technical skills and experience. Is that, is that be your take working with a variety of businesses and people? Yes, it's certainly more widely promoted, more widely accepted than it was when I first, I guess, got the spark or the passion for it many years ago. I still don't think it's where it needs to be. I mean, maybe that's a good thing because it means I'll always have a job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, I know within my world, Tim, I mean, it's something that, you know, I, I major on in my work that look, experience, technical skills, they're important, yes. don't get me wrong. And, and depending on the role, 
some are really important. But actually, it's true that HR saying that people are hired for skills and experience, but fired on behaviour. Yes. So actually, if you can, if you can start to identify and get those behaviours right, yeah. like you were saying a moment ago, if as an organisation, you understand where your values are at and what culture you've got, you can then start to recruit quite effectively against that. Yes. But you can only do that if you're measuring that through the recruitment process. You can't do that if you don't look at the behaviours. Yeah. And I think, again, that's not to go back to you know, who are you? You know, I, I find it fascinating that when we interview people, we have these values-based interviews that are the organization's values. And then we ask them questions around that. First thing you should do is ask them, what do you stand for? What are your values that you'll bring to this team? Because they're the values that they'll demonstrate. You can have all the values on the wall you want. The values that people demonstrate are their own. And this is this element of, of creating those opportunities for people to be able to, first of all, understand that about themselves and be the, be their true authentic selves. And I think it's, it's about making positive choices. I think that's the bit that employers are becoming braver with. And that's even more important now. You know, if, if you think about the world that we live in with this constant comparison on social media and this constant desire to look the best, earn the most money or be the best, show off uh, if I'm allowed to put it that way organizations who'll be more successful are the ones that strip it back and say no you can choose who you are here here's the here's the technical skills here's what you're bringing to the role here's what we'll train you in what we'll also do is develop your ability to communicate as yourself to demonstrate your own values because you know certainly 99.9 percent of organizations employ decent human beings so the more you can enable them to demonstrate that, the more you can enable them to talk about that, the better the culture is going to be, the better the leadership yeah. is, you know, and the better that people want to belong to those organisations. You know, yeah. I, I think this, um, I think it's another term that frustrates me because we have to label everything, but this, this great resignation mm. that, that is, is this term that's getting used on the back of a global pandemic, uh, that's been going on for years. Everywhere I've ever worked, there's been a challenge to retain employers, employees. Sorry, you know, there's been a challenge to create the right level of culture. Mm. I think it's been hammered home these last few years because when people have then retreated into isolation and suddenly working remotely, they instinctively know: is this right for me? Mm. Is this leader right for me? Is this team right for me? And yes, because of remote working, it's now easier to go down the road and get a different job. That's what people are doing now. They're looking and saying, no, I, I want to know that this culture is right for me. Because if you think about, you know, people, whatever age, whatever demographic you are in these last two years where we've been forced to work from home, you know, that, that includes some, for argument's sake, 21-year-olds who were spending all day in the bedroom while their parents worked downstairs. It includes married couples who used to enjoy the fact that they got up in the morning and they both went off to work to lead those lives are suddenly now sat at the dining table opposite each other trying to do the job and suddenly the wife's going, you sound like a right dickhead at work. The husband's <laughs> going, why, why are you mothering everybody? Sorry for using very stereotypical examples there, but they are real examples that people have shared. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening then is that when you get that isolation element added in, People are now looking and going, I spend all my time on Teams calls and nobody turns the camera on. I spend all my time on calls that are the same, that nobody actually stops and says, how are you doing? Nobody's mm. giving me feedback anymore. Nobody's actually stopping and saying, what do you need from me? Mm. So I think this 
cultural piece, has, and this challenge has been going on for years and years, I think it's just highlighted recently because of the pandemic. And that's again where the value of that emotional intelligence comes in and the value of that authentic leadership where, you know, I, I always use the example of in March 2020, leaders needed to tell people how to work safely and effectively. They needed direction. Even if that was, you're going on furlough and this is what it means and this is when we'll communicate. You're going to work from home, this is how we're going to keep operating. They needed that clear direction. And that should have been in place for, I would say, the first four weeks of that pandemic with regular check-ins. How are you getting on with your kids being at home? Right, this is this is how the business is responding. And when you go four to six weeks down the line, what leaders then should have been doing is having those conversations to say, this thing isn't going away. What do you need from me while you're working in isolation? How can I help you? And start to create that psychological contract with their teams. Whereas what happened for a lot of people was, oh, we all went home. We did a Zoom quizzes for a couple of weeks. We all uploaded the NHS. We were worried about Boris in hospital. That won't happen now, would it? We were celebrating rightly, the legend that is to Captain Tom Moore. You know, we were having all of these things bringing us together. And then suddenly I was getting an email telling me to work harder from home. You know, suddenly I was just getting chastised about why have you not done this? Why have you not done that? In other words, the conversations that took place for years before that were now much harder because it was done in isolation, were done from a place in your life that you should be having your dinner, that you should be socialising with your friends and family. So that, yeah, the value of it has become even more important and will just continue to be even more important as we move forward. Well, like a few people have said previously on the podcast, you know, during this last couple of years, those dials around, you know, EQ again, those dials have had to be turned up by leaders because you've probably seen it as well, Tim. I've I've seen both extremes. I've seen some leaders absolutely shine and the focus has been on, as I call it, the human element of business and they've been right there. Yes. And I think... Um, that's been incredibly telling now. But equally, I also saw in that period of time, so-called leaders really drop the ball and and completely, yeah, yeah. yeah, just not do the right thing by their people. But I think now it's incredibly telling because now we're in a place where actually, barring everything going on out in Ukraine, um, you know, the economy it is back. Most businesses doing well. Channels are open and people have a bit more choice and they're thinking, well, actually, no, I want to work somewhere where I feel valued and yeah. I feel like my personal values align with the company's values. And perhaps that's sort of been a bit of a catalyst and accelerated this so-called great resignation because I don't think people will put up with it, will they? No, you know? you're right. And that, that for me is where I always bring it back to everything we want from leaders comes back to them being authentic and look leaders are people too you know leaders are human beings they are emotional creatures they're under pressure and i think the pandemic one of the examples in that moment which you know luckily we can now say is two years behind us a lot of them were forced into thinking about how do we save this business you know, remember that leaders are employees too the vast majority of leaders are employees too yes of course there is the business owner you know the entrepreneur the vast majority of leaders are employees too and i think for a lot of them that pandemic created this mold to fit of i can't be compassionate because we've got a business to save here and we don't know if this business is going to last and it lent towards fitting that mold and to me the leaders who've been successful and have built a stronger culture as a result of the pandemic have built stronger relationships have had a more 
a better impact, a positive impact on themselves and others are the ones who broke the mould and were able to go, no, if I'm feeling the pressure, imagine how my team are feeling. So, yes, I'm going to have some honest conversations and I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to be transparent and this is the risk. I'm also going to engage with people and say, what do you think? What can we as a team do to survive this, to make sure that we stay together so that when this is over, we're in a much stronger position and saw it as a chance, you know, to build those stronger relationships. And the leaders who are able to do that have high emotional intelligence already. And I think what we'll see is that the value of that emotional intelligence, like I said before, will just start to become even stronger now. And I think it's even more important that, you know, people can just understand what it is and look at the opportunities it gives them as a leader so that they can make those positive choices. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Now, before I go to my next question, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Obvious Candidate. Obvious Candidate was founded by Sam Waterfall, aka London's Global Career Coach. And I'm delighted to collaborate with Sam as he has a truly unique approach to helping you get the job you really want. Having begun his own career in brand management at Procter & Gamble, Sam understands marketing. And he's the only career coach I ever recommend. Why? Well, simply because he gets results. As the founder of Obvious Candidate, Sam has 18 years experience in helping people to position themselves as the number one Obvious Candidate, head and shoulders above the competition. He successfully worked with people who've gone on to land jobs with the International Olympic Committee, the World Economic Forum, Nike, Amazon, Virgin, Red Bull Racing, Rolls-Royce to name just a few. Essentially, if your job search is taking too long or you're struggling to get the job offers you really want, then Sam is your man. Now, Sam and I have put together an exclusive offer for you, the listeners, where he's prepared to offer you for free a video introduction to his amazing precision networking method. And he'll also give you, again, for free, a copy of his Dream 30 networking tracker. This helps you to organize, structure, and guide your approach to effective networking. I've seen it, it's superb, and it is a proven strategy that gets results. To reach out to Sam and take advantage, simply go to www.obviouscandidate.com forward slash leader. Do it today. You won't regret it. Your next big job is waiting for you. Now, Tim, I couldn't have you on without asking you for some thoughts around leadership, really. You've touched upon a lot already, which is great, but... You've worked with individuals, you've worked with companies. So give us a feel for today in 2022. What does good leadership look like for you in terms of traits and attributes? Yes. So for me, the first key step for a leader is is setting that vision of success on being clear exactly what that is, whether that is, you know, a target or an overall purpose or whether it's about a customer experience or whether it's about, the vision for success is how we work together as a team because many teams work on processes that are autonomous and they're always going to work. So often the leader needs to set the vision of success for how the team works together because that means when people are going to work, they know why they're getting out of bed and doing that job. They they know how they contribute. And it also enables them as a team to work together back to expectations, you know, to be able to ask, will this help us to grow the business? Will this help us to deliver the right customer experience so that it means something more than a spreadsheet, a task, a project, you know, all these things that we get lost in. So that's the first step of that. And then for me after that, it is about then 
being the true authentic selves, being honest, having the honest conversations, not being afraid to say, I don't know. What do you think? You know, creating that autonomy. The, the best leader I ever worked with, who he talks about in the book, what she was fantastic at doing is she would set the vision of success and then she would say to me and the other leaders in that team, you tell me how we'll achieve that. Tim, you're responsible for leadership and talent development. You've got two weeks. I want you to come back and tell me how you think you can deliver or contribute to that overall vision of success. And it, it's such a great way for people to be able to empower themselves. It instantly builds trust. It makes you want to run through a brick wall for that leader. And then the key element is a, a consistent coaching approach from a leadership point of view. And, and most importantly, knowing when to coach you can't coach all the time i wish you could because i'm a coach so when i coach people i coach all the time for leaders you've got to know when to coach and that's about being clear on what people are responsible for in terms of the performance and the behaviors and then being able to coach people around that and then being able to give them the the, the tough feedback when they need it you know being able to, to tell them that wasn't good enough or you know the, the behavior that you demonstrated yesterday is not what i expect of you and being able to work with them so that people can challenge themselves, they can develop, so that people see, you know, where their own vision of success is. And I think key to that, again, is a leader who's not afraid to build a team of other authentic leaders, because everybody's a leader. We all lead at least one person. It's the me and you are looking at them now on screen as a mirror image. You know, the person you look at in the mirror, we all lead at least one person. So for me, that's the key as a leader is being, being brave enough to say, I want to build a team of leaders, no matter what your job is, no matter what your job title is. And I think creating that open environment to talk about people's fears, their hopes and dreams, you know, encouraging them to focus on the personal development piece. And to me, when you do that, everything else, the products, the technical skills, the competencies, the expertise gets built organically because people are bought into the leader, they're bought into the process, they're bought into, yes, I, I want to put discretionary effort in, I'm bought in, I want to develop. And then, you know, me and you were talking about networking before, weren't we? This element of people shouldn't wait until they need a new job to network, they should do it all the time. And that, that's what I see with leaders, is when they create that environment, and I've just talked to them with that authenticity and emotional intelligence at that, People naturally go, yeah, I'm going to go and network. I'm going to go to this conference because, you know, we're involved in the food and drink industry and there's a conference running down the road in a month's time. So I'm just going to turn up and I'm going to get to know people. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to these podcasts. People start to do that for themselves when you create that environment and you know what the vision of success is and the way that you work is built on authenticity and that you have a leader who, you know, when the shit hits the fan or when it's going really, really well, they're able to choose a positive response to their thoughts and feelings. And there's something you mentioned in your book as well, Tim. It is towards the end, but you make it very clear. It's it's certainly not last, but least. It's about listening, isn't it? You know, developing yes. that. And and again, there's certain people, both you and I know, that they, they do this amazingly well. You know, they listen and they make you feel listened to as well, which is a bit of yes. a superpower. So I'm sure you'd probably um, point towards that as well, would you? Yes, that, that's the key. So there's, there's, in the book, there's two key habits about developing that authentic leadership. And it's ask, don't tell. So being able to see the opportunity to ask a powerful, open question. And that can work in 
any circumstance. And also, yes, the, the, the ability to listen and most importantly, to choose to listen because every single human being knows how to listen. You've got to choose to do it. And yeah, that's the key thing. And being able to demonstrate to your team that you're really listening to them. And I think this value of listening gets lost because the world tells us not to listen. We've got loads of distractions. You've got mobile phones giving notifications. You've got things going off over here. All these things go around in your mind. The most important thing to remember is the only distraction is your thoughts and feelings. So the distraction isn't the notification on the phone. It's the thought that goes, oh, I should read that Instagram post now. Oh, I should read that email now. Or the feeling that says, oh, that's an email off my boss. I should reply to that straight away. That's the distraction. And yeah, leaders who choose to listen are the ones who have the impact that they want to have. Rightly, the final story in the book is given to an exec coaching client of mine by the name of Steve. He, he's read the story. He's contributed to it because to me, he's a shining example and, and he's not the only one. There's so many leaders that I've worked with who have forgotten to choose to listen. They've forgotten the value of it. And then when they go back to that, that's how they really start to understand their team, how they really start to recognise it. Listening is the habit. I encourage everybody to practice. You know, something I always say to leaders is, next time you go to a meeting, the you might get five, 10 or 15 minutes where you don't have to actively contribute because what the person's talking about doesn't impact directly on you or they're not expecting you to respond. Unfortunately, this is part of most meetings for most leaders. When that happens, resist the urge to start looking at your phone or God forbid, open your laptop or especially online, start to do this stupid thing that we do where we think people can't tell that I'm doing something else and you know, oh, I'm looking at my emails, but I'm pretending I'm talking. People can see you doing it. Resist the temptation to do that. Resist the temptation to, to doodle in your pad. Resist the temptation to daydream about what you're going to have for your tea that night. Just practice listening. Really, really focus on the person that's talking and look at it from their point of view. Look at their body language. Listen out to their tone of voice. Consider how they're coming across and challenge yourself in that moment when you don't have to respond, that you can practice allowing your thoughts and feelings to come and go, that you can practice making a note that you would come back to and ask them a question, because it's a free go. And then when you're in the moment with your team, when you really need to listen, it becomes much more of a natural practice for you because you practiced it. And, you know, there's a really simple way to demonstrate the value of listening is we all want to be listened to. If you if you ask anybody, leader or not, what frustrates you, eventually they will go when people don't listen to me. I use the example in the book, but the, the, the toddler crying on the floor in the supermarket having a tantrum, it's not because daddy won't buy him a new Barbie doll or mummy won't give them that milkshake that they want, because they feel like they're not being listened to. And as a child, they can't tell you that. So the only thing they can do is cry and kick and scream. And as adults, we, we become... I think attuned into this habit of I don't listen to you, you don't listen to me, and I only listen to respond because we think that that tells the other person that you're interested. But the best that you can do is listen and choose your response to show them that you've really listened to them. And yeah, it's so undervalued. And I also think people kid themselves saying, "Oh, I can't do it. I don't like the silence." Mm. You can. You just need to choose to do it. Nobody ever died from allowing thirty seconds of silence in a conversation. You know. What it allows people to do is to think during that silence. So, so yeah, in the book, I, I share some tips and 
some suggestions for leaders to actually talk about listening. Um, another 90s reference, I think I say, you know, it's not fight club. So the first rule of listening is you should talk about listening um, <laughs> because we don't do it. We, we expect everybody yeah. to do it, yet we don't actually engage with people and say, how do you expect me to listen to you? What do you need me to show so you know I'm listening to you? And it might seem like one of the most ridiculous conversations you'd have. Believe me, it has such a massive positive impact yeah. on the people around you. And it makes it easier for you because you then know what that person expects. So if they expect eye contact, make eye contact. Well, you make a good point in the book as well, Tim, around, you know, the world we live in. It's so sort of communication heavy. It's fast paced. People are very time poor. So actually, if you can listen and make people feel listened to you stand out even more than you would have done say 10 15 years ago yes. when there was less emails yes. less texts less less whatsapps less memes <laughs> do you know what i mean actually if you can yeah, less gifts absolutely you know um so yeah i think that's it, it's simple stuff tim and i don't mean that it in a derogatory way. it's simple but it's really powerful it's powerful yeah. and it works and... i'm very happy that it comes across in that simplistic form and, and you know you said something before that i think shy about taking it back to basics and you, you're right you know the, this is in the book and i say that the first basic of leadership is to win hearts and minds and you've got to start with winning your own heart and minds you've got to feel confident as being your true authentic self and that's what people want they, they won't tell you that they want you to win their heart and mind and, Something I often challenge people on, I'll, I'll, when we talk about leaders, a bit like what we're doing, when we talk about what we expect from leaders, what, what makes a good leader, you know, what they expect from themselves, I always make the point to them is, if I ask them to tell me about all the leaders that they've worked with and tell me what KPIs they achieved, how much profit they achieved, what was their targets that they achieved, you know, all these different targets and, and expectations that leaders have, Nobody will remember it. Nobody can turn around to me and go, yeah, I worked for this boss. It was great because every year we put 5% on his KPI. And, you know, over the space of five years, he took us from 0% to 2% because nobody really gives a shit about that. What they could do is if I said to them, now tell me about the leaders that you've worked with and tell me about the attitudes and behaviours they demonstrated and the impact they had on you, we can all tell that story. We can all go even right back to the first leaders that we've worked with and it is about remembering that that's what people remember you for. It's the impact that you have through your attitudes and behaviours. And you know, we're talking about listening. Listening is one of the most important behaviours to demonstrate. And it's important we don't lose sight of that because it's very easy as a leader to just focus on the goal. And the reality is, no, what people want you to do is to be an authentic leader, to, to just have those honest conversations, to lead me towards the goal that we want to achieve. Brilliant. Now, a couple of quick fire questions, Tim, before I let you go. You actually offer up a few in the book but book recommendations for you what what are the books that have maybe touched you and inspired you the most over the years any recommendations apart from your own <laughs> of course well of course <laughs> yeah well I, I suppose what i should do is reference the one in the book that i say you know uh, geek alert the book that changed my life was stephen covey's seven habits of highly effective people and it's crikey it's been on this earth to what must be nearly 40 years now i mean God rest his soul, he passed away, didn't he, around about 10 years ago, Stephen Covey. Mm. To me, it still has the, it, such a relevance. To me, it really made me realise, yeah, actually, this is why people behave the way that they do, and these are the choices that I can make. So I would encourage, if you haven't read that yet, to really get hold of that. It 
it's available on audiobook and everything these days. Uh, another one uh, is is anything by Gavin Oates. Gavin is a legend. I'm very lucky to class him as a friend of mine. He's written a little intro for the book for me. The guy's just an absolute genius. He's a legend. He, he strips everything back. He probably swears more than me. <laughs> so I, I think of Gavin's book, the key one I would, I would recommend is Life Will See You Now. That's, a, I think, the, the one that really has a, has a big impact on me of Gavin's books. On top of that, I would go with Viktor Frankl, A Man's Search for Meaning. Um, again, it's a classic. It, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Mm. To me, it, it's it's about survivors of the concentration camp, and then he builds out his, his psychological research around that and this element of, you know, when we have that hope, when we have that purpose, it enables us to to do anything. And and of course, Daniel Goldman, emotional intelligence. You know, if if you've not read that yet, what what you do realise, you know, this man is the <laughs> the godfather of modern emotional intelligence, and it, it really helps yeah. you to understand the practical elements of it and it helps you to go, yeah, I get it. I can do this. You know, it doesn't yeah. bog you down with the theory of it. And um, despite yeah. his being the research that's bringing it into modern leadership. So yeah, definitely most intelligence by Daniel Goldman. Some good recommendations. I was just turning around to him because I've got that book, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for a Mini. Brilliant book. Not very long, but very yes. powerful. No, no. Packs a punch. It, it does. Brilliant suggestion. Yeah, really makes you think. And I don't know if you know this, Tim, I used to work for Stephen Covey. Oh, no way. I met, met the great man. Wow. And what I would say about the book is it's a great book. It's even better if you can get onto a training course because the book is is brilliant. Yes. But the training course, as I'm sure it's the same with you, it really brings it alive and you can actually apply some of yes. the habits. But um, you're right. I mean, been around a while. Yeah, I, I'm not ashamed to say I learned so much from the Franklin Covey Foundation. So I, I did some leadership training with them when I was cracking back at my Eddie Stobart days, I've about some years there. I probably sold you a training course, Tim, Yeah, <laughs> back in the day. You might, you might, I know, mate, you might. Well, I would have been very happy and it would have been a very receptive audience. So, yeah. They were brilliant. You're right. And, I, and I'm not ashamed to say that I've taken a lot of inspiration that into the work that I do in terms of, like I say, helping people to understand the habits that they can build how they choose the behaviours. Well, the principles, I mean, they go back to the likes of Benjamin yes. Franklin and, you know, they're, they're going to be around for a long yeah. time. But I think what you do well, and I think some others, they relate it and people can resonate with them because the world has changed versus, say, 40, 50 years ago where some of the principles yes. first came out. And it's just the way they resonate with people, I think, is worth yes. tweaking every now and again. Um so, yeah, no, brilliant. That's some good advice. Final question. I always finish on this one, Tim. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self in terms of career advice? It always starts with you. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> How did I know you, you were going to get that one in? Yeah. Brilliant. And I think <laughs> when I recognised that, it, that was the turning point. And, you know, I, I think definitely as a younger self, you, you look for organizations and leaders to create opportunities for you and i was very lucky i've worked with some organizations and leaders who did that i've also worked for many who didn't do that and, and were you know flattered to deceive you know putting it very mildly there and I, that led to me being disappointed with myself and the reality was it wasn't anything i was doing it's that i was allowing those to determine the path that i went down or i was you know fitting the molds that they created for me and i recognize now that when i said no no it always starts with me. 
And even if my boss or the organization want to behave like that, I can still choose to be me. And even in toxic cultures, and believe me, I've worked in a few of them, <laughs> you can still be yourself. You, you, you know, and I think that's, that's the most important thing is that no matter where you work, what motivates you to go back and do it again tomorrow is being able to put your head on the pillow at night and, and consciously or subconsciously say to yourself, yeah, I lived up to who I am today. I, I lived up to what I stand for. I demonstrated the attitudes and behaviours that I want to demonstrate. And the more and more leaders are able to do that, the more they're able to create those positive cultures, to be authentic, to create those environments where people actually want to go to work. Well, I think it's a really fitting end, Tim, because it's so true. It starts with you. You know, I think the best businesses in the future will they'll just be able to help people turn up to work as their true selves, as we know, you know, people who I guess ultimately enjoy their work more. They perform better. It's this cycle, which I think yes. it's the yes. businesses in the future will ultimately have people who enjoy their work more. How do you start with that? Well, it's about people having their personal values align better with company values. And yes. therefore, things like salaries and all these peripheral things become less and less important. So I think it's a really crucial point you make. Listen, how I think your book's out Friday. How can people get a copy? What's the best way for them to to reach out? Yes. So if you're listening to this on the day it gets pub uh, the podcast gets published, you will be able to buy the book on Friday of this week, Friday the 29th of April. Obviously, if you're listening to this after any date in the future, uh, beyond the 29th of April 2022, then you'll be able to get the book from Amazon. You can also buy it from my website, which is enthusedcoaching.com, and that gives you a chance to get a signed copy, some other goodies along with it. The ebook's available on Amazon as well, so if people are into Kindles and all that sort of stuff, then they can get the ebook or the paperback from uh, Amazon, or the paperback is available from my website as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tim. I've really enjoyed the chat. It's good to share more about your world with the listeners so thank you so much for investing the time i know we're going to keep in touch and best of luck with the uh, with the book launch thanks Jonathan. really appreciate chatting to you keep smiling keep being you cheers tim take care thanks so much for listening i hope you found this episode valuable don't forget to subscribe so you get notified about all future episodes. I'm working really hard to keep bringing you inspirational leaders from the food and drink industry that we can all learn from. And if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. It really helps spread the podcast far and wide. And finally, as you've probably noticed, my passion is to help businesses thrive through the power of people. Like the very best leaders of today, I understand how creating purpose-led cultures with high levels of trust and employee engagement leads to successful financial performance. Back in 2011, I founded Leader Executive to help companies outperform the market by focusing on the human element of their business, their people. As a well-respected talent solutions partner, we collaborate with food and drink businesses across our four business pillars, design, hire, develop, inspire. To find out more about how we can help you outperform your competition by focusing on the human element of your business, then reach out to me on john at leaderexecutivesearch.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Until next time on the Leader Insight Series podcast, take care.